0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Journey Now, produced by Journey Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information on Journey Church and our gatherings, visit journeytn.com. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Journey Now Roundtable. I'm Grant Opperman and it is fantastic to hang out together for a few minutes. I hope you're all enjoying the all-new podcast formats that we've been doing these last several weeks. Just to recap, we've got Mike Erie's Mike Mondays, which are sort of skeptical-eyed conversations with guests about Christian traditional beliefs. Uh, on Tuesdays, uh, Pastor Tim is does his 10K Tuesdays, helping to put our faith into practice. On Thursdays, we've got Kevin Dixon leading a Theology Thursdays discussion with Mike and Susie Lind. And speaking of Susie Lind, on Fridays, she does Formation Fridays, which are conversations with guests that are meant to be about growing in our faith and living out our identities in Christ. Here on Wednesdays, I host a roundtable gathering of pastors and special guests, As they step into the intersection of culture and Christianity and try not to get hit by an oncoming controversy. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't going real well, Grant. (laughs) So good luck to all of you who agreed to join me today. With me are two pastors who also, believe it or not, are my friends. (laughs) On my left, I have Kevin Dixon. Hey, everybody. And uh, joining us remotely is Susie Lind.
1: Hello,
0: hello. And in our super plush special guest chair today... You already know and love him as one of our Journey worship leaders, and he's going to be a new Journey elder, Tim Skipper.
2: Hey, pleasure to be with you. Yay, so glad you're here. Yeah. How did you get
0: to be an elder, Tim?
2: Because you don't look like you're that old. (laughs) I'm older than I look, uh, and also many payments to Kevin. And he finally said, fine. All right. We'll let you do something.
0: That's right. podcasts are next for you buddy that's all i can say <laughs> so last week we witnessed what really is one of the most impressive rituals of civic life with the inauguration of a new president and the peaceful transfer of government and it's so interesting to me how secular events like this have all these religious elements bound up in them and today I want to look at that intersection between public life, civic life, and religion, and how we, as Jesus followers, commemorate events, what's meaningful, and when things can sort of go sideways and get corrupted a little bit. So Kevin's laughing because he knows this is going in his direction. Let me start by taking a half step back from the inauguration. We'll get there. Okay. Um, Our good friend, Pastor Mike Erie recently said, and I took note of it because I thought it was an interesting way to say it. He said, our God is a God of props. (laughs) And I think what he meant was that God designed us to respond to symbols and rituals in our lives Mm -hmm. and that he uses that innate wiring to help us make sense of our world. So total softball question. Oh, boy. But where are some places that we see that, just to sort of get us going in the Bible and in our lives? Oh, it was, it,
3: he, was, he was real intentional in in having them build altars in the Old Testament, having them put up a pile of stones so that they would remember, because um, we have such short memories. And, and God did a work here, or God did, or they named a place like um, Bethel or... Zion. They would. They, there was a place, and they would name it. So it's it's littered throughout the Old Testament. This idea of props of remembrance of God was here. Um, God touched Ab, you know Jacob here, and so there's those things are throughout the Old Testament. Well, but, and even ahead.
1: like Gideon and the fleece, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. when we're asking for something or the olive branch or.
3: Mm-hmm. It's the you know, snake it that Moses holds up in the wilderness. There is, there's Mm -hmm. enough, it's even his staff, like it's Aaron's Mm -hmm. staff. It's, it's being able to see tangible evidence
0: of God's work. Right. And I mean, practices as well. You, you actually, that was awesome because the examples you gave were none of what I had. written. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about the ones you had in mind, you know, things like, things like, communion you -hmm. know
1: oh jesus says
0: huh what's that sue that's good (laughs)
3: susie's like yeah that's good that's a good one too
0: (laughs) but it's like he -hmm. didn't have to do that right right but it seems like it's it's a powerful thing that we need to be able to have this tangible reminder Mm -hmm. of here's what it means to have jesus present with us in our lives here's what it means to remember his sacrifice he could have just said you know hey every day Say a prayer and remember, mm-hmm. right? And he didn't. He chose not to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Or baptism is another one, right. right? It's the daily
3: reminders. It's the things that we run into. Water is a daily reminder of the sustenance of life. So there's a there's a connection between that and God. It's it. You know, if you were a good practicing Jew, when you when you got older and you did the Passover meal, the Passover meal was a was all about remembrance. It was right. all about remembering what happened and And being able to revisit the
0: faithfulness of God, so all that's true, yeah, so I want to stay with Kevin for a second, and then you guys can can jump in here in a, in just a minute. But I want to talk about because these are all I mean, I actually love ceremony and ritual and ah. and all of that stuff, because mm-hmm. um, it can be really meaningful, yes, but I also want to talk about some of the ways that Christians can corrupt sacred practices Mm -hmm. and take them out of context in harmful ways. So we've had the conversation in the past, Kevin, about a lot of these things. (laughs) And you laugh, but it's true. I absolutely see your point of view. Um, So for instance, you talk about baptism as a ceremony that for you has become distorted. Yes. So, can you talk about that and 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 what it is that we are to do with that?
3: Sure. Um, I I think the ordinances of the church, communion and and baptism, have turned into religious perfunctory in many ways, um, and and I mean that in the nicest possible way. <laughs> um, which, but uh, as a pra- a pastor who has has, I don't know, I've baptized a lot of people, and I've also um, officiated over uh, communion services. Um, there is a sense of where uh, what's happened in those ceremonies is they they often in their redundancy will lose their meaning if that meaning isn't continually called out and brought to the forth, up to the front of it. And also, those that are participating in it grasp grasp the significance of the said prop or the said reminder, the said. Um, but oftentimes, what happens is is people go through the motions of these things. Baptism, for me, is the bigger issue than it is communion. I that that the 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 gathering around the table, that gives you opportunity to flesh out. There's so much rich theology in it, whereas baptism has rich theology, but it is so intermittent, and also one time done. Right. And so in that one time that we do baptism, like, okay, you're getting dunked in water, and oftentimes it's misconstrued as something that brings salvation, it's misconstrued as something as a moment in the life of this person that uh, changes everything. It is It is also um, taken lightly in the context at times of um In our culture, baptism has lost any kind of sacrificial bent to it, um, whereas in other cultures it had sacrifice attached to it because now you were definitely doing away something of the old and you were getting something new, but that break from the old and the new was much more substantial, much more significant. And I don't think us as American Christians grasp the depth of that.
0: So that's interesting. You really, what you're saying is, I think, two different things. One, that it can become perfunctory, mm-hmm. and it's just a fun little practice that we do to be in the club. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then on the other on the other hand, you've got this sense in which it's it's gaining new meaning that was that's incorrect, correct? Right? That yep. essentially we become. What am I going to say with respect to that? Uh, baptismally. Um, uh, saved illiterate <laughs> oh right <laughs> right yeah, yeah and now we say hey i went i got baptized therefore i'm saved i did that and now yeah. i can go back to whatever it is I'm, is, is that right. right yeah and i think
1: well, there's a lot of people it. that still believe that way too let's not forget
0: yeah and it cheapens it it cheapens
3: mm-hmm. the idea of what baptism was meant to be so i i have a lot of feelings about that but um i don't it's it's the struggle of of where ceremony meets something that was supposed to be very impactful.
0: So here's my question for the group then, and I promise people we will get to inauguration here in just a minute, but if these rituals get decontextualized and they get they get false meaning attached to them, then what are we to do about that? Do we just not do baptism or communion or engage in practices uh, like I know... Susie, we've had conversations about Lent and Advent and pretty soon we end up sort of throwing out all of those elements or is how can we reclaim them?
1: You're asking me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Go for it, Susie. I've talked a lot already.
1: Um, well, I think, you know, I think you have to Decide as a community that you're going to reclaim them and why you're going to reclaim them and why it's important. And then I think you have to it has to be conversation. It has to be talked about. It has to be part of the culture because those things in and of themselves aren't the things that save us. They're not the things that are the main most important thing that Jesus is concerned about but like we said at the top of the conversation he uses those things to cultivate transformation in us to cultivate remembrance and and to help us keep our eyes on him and our relationship with him i mean we need tangible things in order for us to 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 be able to touch and feel and remember it's why we wear wedding rings it's why we you know just do other things that mark relationships between us. So I think you have to decide this is important and why, and the why needs to be really, um, you know, it needs to be clear and it, and it needs to be owned collectively. We decided this year we weren't going to do Lent. For example, we were not going to practice Lent in 2021 because In 2020, we started to, and then we all had to give up far more than we wanted to with COVID.
0: (laughs) Basically everything, yes.
1: Yeah. And because this has been a season that's been marked by so much loss already, and so much disruption already, that the practice of Lent, introducing something like that to our specific community was probably not going to be the most helpful thing for us to grow and be transformed by Jesus and grow closer to him and to each other. So that's that's not going to be helpful for us. But the Episcopalian church down the street, they're going to do it because it's already part of their liturgy. It's already part of their culture. The why is ingrained into who they are as a community. And so they can enter into it without there being any kind of obstacle to their worship. Like it would be for us. And because we value it journey, removing obstacles to worship, you have to look at each thing and and decide whether that's an obstacle to worship or a clear pathway to worship.
0: Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Cause I mean, that's the basic human problem is that we need these things as reminders and as vehicles to give us meaning, but yet our our <laughs> most basic nature is to then begin worshiping the ritual. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah,
3: the ritual.
1: Yeah, we confuse our tradition with our theology. Yeah.
0: So, Tim, I want to hear you on this before we go on, because I'm guessing, based on what I've heard from you before, that you like your ritual. I've heard about your coffee. (laughs) Right,
2: yeah. (laughs) I do... But I didn't always. I kind of thought it was, um, I thought tradition and ritual was a little um, ridiculous uh, for a long time, mostly because I just didn't, I grew up in a church that was very, like, to Susie's point, I think that uh, building culture versus building ideology is super important. And so, like Peter Drucker says, culture eats ideology for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. All the time. And so yep. if you're building culture and you're building connectedness, it's much better than building correctness. And I'm more correct than this person or than this religion. Um, but these days, I find ritual and tradition extremely important. And a lot of it for me is based in the recovery movement. Right. And we are very rigid about our traditions and our rituals when we show up and we go through our Mm -hmm. readings Mm -hmm. in in, in the beginning of a meeting, and then we end with the Lord's Prayer and a certain way of uh, exiting the meeting every time. Um, What I've found there is some days that's just... uh, We're going through uniformity, but some days somebody will just say something in the reading Uh, with a different tone or, you know, just approach it in a different way. And I'll hear it as if I've heard it for the first time. But it's so important for me to remember where I have been in addiction, uh, where I am now and where I'm going. You know, we say, Mm -hmm. I'm not as bad as I used to be, and I'm not as good as I'm going to get by the uh, will of God, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And by the way, before we go on...
0: Let's just celebrate that we have somebody on this podcast who's read Peter Drucker and can quote him (laughs) correctly, business consultant. There you go. Yeah.
3: You mean
1: someone else, Grant, besides you?
0: (laughs) Good
3: point, Susie. (laughs) Can I just add something, though, to what Tim said that I thought was really
1: important? (laughs) I I think what Tim is saying is super important because let's also not confuse liturgy and ritual with legalism. Cause I think that some there's, I know a lot of people who love Jesus with all their hearts that have left the evangelical church for um, Catholic traditions and more liturgical um, higher church traditions because there's comfort in order in the order of liturgy. And so there are, and that goes back to knowing the why, I mean, for, for for those people, I think the why for them is is needing needing a clearer pathway, needing some order. But they've left even maybe you know forms of legalism and tradition for that. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a there's a place for that that's really beautiful and informative and for us.
3: Yeah, legalism raises its head everywhere. It, yeah. does, it doesn't have to be in a liturgy or a tradition but it finds its its home there
0: often. That's... Yes. So let's talk a little bit about Christian elements in secular ceremonies, like we just saw at the inauguration. And this is, I mean, it just struck me um, when I was watching last week. We see more and more politicians quoting scripture. And I read this last week that... In the first, uh, in in the inauguration speeches from George Washington, 17, what? 87? Yeah, okay, I'm going with that. (laughs) To William McKinley in 1901, there were only 11 Bible references during that entire time. And that includes Washington who had one and Jefferson who had one. So nine in the rest of that whole period. Wow. Hmm. Since then... (laughs) Last hundred plus years, twenty-three of the thirty inauguration speeches have quoted scripture. So you know is what's going on here, and of course there's the political element that I think you brought up, uh, Susie. Uh, these authors that I read this last week, uh, Tevi Troy and Stuart Hopper, said that uh, Republicans tend to quote the Bible because their constituents tend to be religious, mm-hmm. and Democrats. Often use it to indicate that they're not as secular as their party's reputation suggests. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it becomes political. So, what do you guys think about bringing scripture into these these uh, these secular contexts, and in many cases, taking things out of context? I know for uh, for Joe Biden, he used uh, Saint Augustine. Mm-hmm as a quote, which he's Catholic. And so that's something that I, I'm i guessing is very sincere for him. Yeah. But he also quote uh, quoted Psalm 30, uh, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Mm-hmm. And he also alluded to uh, to Exodus as well. So where are you guys on bringing out the two Corinthians for your inauguration speech? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's,
3: he, yeah. Yeah. This is this is props in a different way, um, and I I genuinely get annoyed usually. It's an annoyance with me to use um, the Bible as a means by which to um, communicate uh, with a voting block. Um, I want to appeal to a group of people. I want to use it as a method by which I can I can let my group of people know that that uh, uh, I at least read the Bible and I can, you know. It
0: becomes a bat signal.
3: Yeah, it yeah. does. And, and, I, and, and it, it actually, <laughs> for me, is, is, you know, we talk a lot about in this country a separation of church and state, and I don't think anybody really knows what it means anymore. Uh, the, the degree in which it is, is propagated and done culturally, it is at the convenience of the person who is propagating the statement of, hey... We can't do that because of separation of church and state. Or we can do that because it doesn't really mean separation of church and state. So anyway, the litmus test and all of this and where I would go with this if it was to me, I would ban all that from um, speeches and so forth because most people do not understand the context in which they're talking, nor the meaning behind the passage they're using, uh, nor the reason why um, anybody would want to, at least in my opinion fully embrace that so i i think
0: it causes more
3: division than it does
0: help right so in your book mm-hmm. no no scripture used in, in in part of a speech right great to have someone pray over a gathering or offer a benediction or whatever yeah it, or not
3: that's an interesting question i i I have opinions on that too, but I've got opinions <laughs> in all of this.
2: Um,
0: it's a half-hour podcast. I know I'll it. be real
3: short. I my 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 perf- I, I think secular should stay secular, and um, invoking the name of God over a secular event again Im- implies something that wasn't intended for every attendant that is there. So, so you
1: don't think we should have invocations? Uh,
3: I don't think it matters. I think it's. Um, I think that fight over those things diminishes the gospel. And so we're, mm-hmm. not, we're, not, we're not trying to introduce people into an invocation of prayer. We're trying to invite them into a relationship with a living God. And if people are turned off by that living God because we're willing to fight over an invocation at a graduation ceremony, I say mm-hmm. don't do it.
1: I mean Tim, I'm <laughs> curious what you think because like I think I think about like, you know, AA meetings. Your like there's a lot of talk about your higher power, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: And so Yeah, I don't know what the place of it is because like for me I love I I it's it because that is my language and that is my that is my faith when I hear scripture and, and mm-hmm. all that, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's lovely.
3: It speaks to you.
1: Then, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just know like the moment we elect somebody who has a different faith and wants their faith incorporated into the ceremony, it's going to cause a lot of uproar from a lot of people. And I, I think we use a lot of things for our own convenience, but with this specific thing, like I, I think there's ways to do that that are more inclusive, but then that opens up a whole nother conversation. So I want to know what Tim thinks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good call, Susie. <laughs> you know, I think to Kevin's point, I, it, it, it sounds like what you're saying is, is that um, there's no possible way that the message can fully match the messenger when it comes to politicians. They just reveal themselves to be completely void. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. Um, which, yeah, I mean that's that's a little cynical, but <laughs> uh, it's a little. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also not wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not, not saying I'm
3: right either. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right. just say I have an opinion about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: Now the interesting thing for me, I think I see uh, the the more I grow in my faith, the less I see uh, the sacred and the secular divided. Hmm. And so interesting. Yeah. And so uh so I'm I'm uh this is really interesting for me because as we're talking, I'm like, okay, there is a ton for me to learn here (laughs) as we unpack some of this stuff. Um, but I also understand why these politicians do that. And Mm often I feel like they mean what they say. Um, and I always th- go back to the, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, which I think is the most brilliant piece of, of law and rule to come down, which is, uh, there should be no other gods before me. Yeah, Meaning, you can rise to the highest authority in the world, which I can't think in the free world of yeah. a higher authority than the President of the United States, and yet... I hope that that person feels the gravity of there is still an authority higher than you. Um, No matter how big you think you are, no matter how much you think you can do, Mm -hmm. I want you to feel the gravity of that through ceremony um, of of like an inauguration. I want you to feel the gravity and the responsibility that there is something, that there is an ideal that is so far above you, you'll never reach it, and it will be judging you. Mm-hmm. Because you will never right. live up to it, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, it's he, a sense of humility. Yeah, that you want. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what yeah. I. Deserve.
0: So it's a sense of humility. But I want to go back now to something that that Susie was talking about with us before we were on the air today. Oh. Here we go. It's all good. No, it's all good. So here's another thought I had as I was watching things: is the whole idea of placing your hand on a Bible and, you know, so help me God and swearing into your office. You're liking Tim, the idea of the acknowledgement of a higher power, but how do you guys feel about Christian oaths in a civic context? Um, Is that okay? Does anybody want to talk about Matthew (laughs) five? Is that part of this discussion? And then, you know, Susie was saying, well, what happens someday if we elect a president who has a different religion? Does he or she swear on a Koran? Or what if we have an atheist president who does not believe in a higher power? And what you're saying, Tim, is you want humility. So what do you think, Susie?
1: Um... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, we we almost had
3: one. We, you can, we almost had a president so, who was Mormon who would have, you know. Yeah.
1: I mean, know. that's exactly what I was thinking about. And just two weeks ago, everyone was like, oh, we love him. Right. <laughs> just yeah. based on his, how yeah. he conducted himself two weeks ago. Um, I You know, I feel like, so the moment I say something that people want to email me, they can email me at suzy at journeytm.com. <laughs> Um, I feel like it's one of those things where it works for us when it works for us. You know, like I said, I'm, I, I'm a Christ follower. I love the Bible more than any other book in the world. And, and I, I, my higher power is Jesus. It is the Lord, our God is one. And, and so when it works for us, it works for us, but it's like also free speech when it works for us it works for us but the moment it becomes something i don't like then it's not working for us and so we are a nation of increasing diversity and i don't i just i don't know that it's going to always work for us and then how will we conduct ourselves how will we be the united states of america how will we be Um, Christians who have our allegiance to the kingdom and then interacting with the world around us. Like, how will that be? That's my question because I mean, I don't, I don't know if it will be when that will be, but surely one day there will be someone who will, um, will be of a different faith and that faith will mean something to them. And they will want that incorporated in their ceremony. And
0: yeah, well, yeah, so it's I think, tricky. I think you're, I, really tricky. <laughs> I think you're right. But I mean, the other thing about it that I sort of alluded to is to me, the whole idea of swearing with your hand on the Bible mm-hmm. feels a little witchcrafty to me. Mm-hmm like you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, you're inviting God to judge you and strike you down if yeah. you're lying, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like swearing on your mother's life or something. So yeah. so help me God. And what I was saying with Matthew 5 is, I mean, Jesus says cuz he's you like talking Yes, yes. He's he's S-B-S. he's talking to the to to the people who s- did exactly this thing. They yeah. they swore all day these elaborate oaths. Mm-hmm. To show their piety and their sincerity and their stature, their moral authority. Yeah, he's saying, forget it. Just say yes or say no, and and let your word be your word. So, why are we not doing that in 2021? <laughs> yeah, it's.
3: I... Why
1: are we not keeping our word? Or oh, oh, ooh.
3: <laughs> now we're just getting personal. <laughs> um, I think I think there is a sense of, and this is this is where. Um, we've gotten into a tradition we've, this is the tradition of our country this is what we do um and i'm not sure uh there's it's perfunctory to some degree i'm not sure there's a whole lot of i'm i'm putting my hand on the bible i'm raising my right hand and i'm i'm saying i swear i think it is to sober the person i think that's that it brings sobriety mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. To the situation, I think, because you're you're now, it. If if God is the author of this book, I'm I'm, you know, there's there's a sobriety to it. I don't think we can we can apply Christian principles to that environment. So there's a degree of right. There's a degree of Matthew five is irrelevant because they're really taking, um, they're taking the liberty of a of a book of scriptures that we hold dear. It's not magical book. It's not a book of incantations. It's not a book of, it's, it's a book about God and they put their hand on it. Um, so there's, I don't know that that's tricky. I, that tradition to me is, is, I guess that's what we do.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I love the ritual of it that, you know, this lovely family Bible that the Bidens had that looked like it had been in their family for generations uh-huh. and had been read, yeah, and they're bringing this forth to be part of their part yeah. of their swearing in. So, a part of me likes that, even though I think that I shouldn't like that.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> well, to, to your point, Grant, yeah. it does feel there's a part of it that does feel a little pagan, in the sense of like yeah. just like you said, like may you strike me down. <laughs> Well, no, because God has said you can know exactly where you stand with me, and I, all I want is for you to say yes when it, you, when you mean it, and say no when you mean it, mm-hmm, and, right. um, and 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 you don't have to worry about as long as you say you speak the truth in love, you don't have to worry about me striking you down or whatever, but. It is there there's I don't know there's something as an American that is very comforting about that ritual or right. about being in a courtroom when somebody does it like yeah. put your hand okay it okay, will I swear.
3: and it will be very disruptive when somebody is sworn in on a Quran that it will be very very disruptive or on an,
0: or right. or just you know like they do in court if you're yeah. if you're not religious right. you, just, so help me yeah period end yeah. of the statement so, right? help me, me, right? <laughs> so help me me right so help me me right We've gone, we've gone so long, I want to ask one more question of Tim, um, and then we'll let you guys go. But um, Tim, as a, as a musician, yeah. Um, the other things that I found weird, and this is just, you know, I guess I'm just cranky this week. <laughs>
1: Come on. But, uh,
0: <laughs> but we had, at the inauguration ceremony, part of that is we had Garth Brooks singing Amazing Grace, mm-hmm. which is like one of my all-time... Amazing favorite hymns, right? Yeah. Um, but what what about the lyrics and the and the message of that applies to an inauguration, or are we just doing it because we feel like we should have a nice hymn as part of our inauguration? <laughs> and on the flip side, um, the night before at the memorial service for the COVID victims. Mm-hmm. Um, they sang the Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah, yeah. which has sort of become co-opted as this um, observant, pious, Christian, know, just... st- and it's, the song's not about that at all. <laughs> right. You can look it up, people, online if you want <laughs> at home. You're just listening, so if you're not driving, you can go to Wikipedia and find out what that song is actually about. But it uses Samson and Delilah, it uses David (laughs) and Bathsheba. It's a relationship song. It's a love song. We'll put it that way. So, I mean, can we
2: untangle these things, Tim? Or does it matter? Well, I think... we're. it's art? It's just, it's largely symbolic, if not entirely symbolic. I really believe that. Um, the Leonard Cohen song is actually a really interesting song because he wrote he he never thought it was done. He wrote eighty verses for that right, song. Right, I've heard that, which is just crazy because he couldn't quite. Isn't get there a, a lot
1: of controversy too over the publishing of it because of different people using it for different things?
2: I'm sure that there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that there is. I'm not sure what it is, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean. That's a it, lot of verses. Yeah. That's more than American Pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and so
0: the people then who are singing it, they get to choose, right? Ah, and they have, because yeah. it's been covered oh. so many times. Different people pull different elements ah, out of it right. yeah, yeah. to sing the song. So
2: it's sort of a and, and, and choose a your own people, adventure song. It is. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think Hallelujah is a phrase that if you asked somebody who's singing it, what does that mean? I'm not, I think you probably get a thousand different responses. Um, And so the symbolic nature of, you know, people are just like, all right, get through the verse, get through the verse. Hallelujah. Okay, I know this part. Yeah, Uh, I think that's part of it. And then I think Amazing Grace has just been with us for so long, and it's seeped into the DNA of um, American culture, Mm -hmm. and especially like... um, that sort of uh, Christian thread that has come through American American culture, I don't know that anybody's necessarily listening to the words or meditating on them in a I'm way. I'm the only that's, one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well,
3: it's such a great hymn, though.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. So powerful. And, and, and that's that. I re, I was listening to it, and what happened for me was, I'm not listening to the words once it starts. I'm I'm in a place of the tradition of my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Loving that song, and you know, because you know, I take issue with some of the words personally. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The saved a wretch like like me. I kind of go, oh well. The way I understand it today, that's not what Jesus says about me, right? Um, but you know, to that's that's my own hang up. Maybe Paul, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. The worst um, of sinners, right. but I do, I do think it's largely it's just symbolic. Yeah, And it's, I understand your crankiness. See, that, that's
0: yeah. the thing, though. I think for me, and that's interesting <laughs> that you get lost in the culture of it and mm-hmm. in the art of it. Yeah. And for me, it's got such beautiful meaning. Mm. And the meaning is wrapped up in the art that I, I want it to be about what it's about. Yes. Right? I think that's beautiful, yeah. And mm-hmm. and that's just my own limitation. So yeah, but we'll leave it there.
3: But that song has been incorporated into Americana. For sure. That is yeah. just part of, It's it's... And where scripture is different than a, a song, right? Yeah, those are different things. Yep.
0: So yep. Kevin gets the last word. That is it for this week's roundtable. Hey, we're not this... going
1: to talk about Lady Gaga's bird.
0: Oh my gosh, that was <laughs> that's gross. what I
1: came here for today. <laughs> and and
0: the the braids, the hair, that was spectacular.
1: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. But, uh, <laughs>
0: No, thanks to thanks to Tim Skipper for sitting in with us and to, and to yep. Susie and Kevin. Thanks to all of you for joining us. And hey, if you like what we're sticking in your ears and in your brains, do me a favor. Screenshot this episode this week and share it to your Instagram stories so we can see who's following along. You can text your questions and comments at 615-861-9503. That's a great way to interact with us. That's in the show notes, that number, if you need to look it up. And of course, tag us, share your episodes, subscribe to Journey Now on your listening platform of choice. Liking something in 2021 is so exhausting, so rest (laughs) up, everyone. Come back tomorrow for Theology Thursday, and come back and hang out with me again next Wednesday on the Journey Now Roundtable. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the Journey Now podcast, please take a moment to leave a rating or review and subscribe wherever you
2: get your podcasts.